I think if we can really be people that think about formation uh, over information, hope over shame, uh, practice over theory, uh, community over individual, and, and being a reconciling community, and, and, and think about peacemaking over partisanship, I think this is ways to kind of help us to, to do the long marathon work for transformation. Hi, friends. I'm Amy Julia Becker, and this is Love is Stronger Than Fear, a podcast about pursuing hope and healing in the midst of personal pain and social division. Any of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while might remember today's guest, David Bailey. David is the founder and chief vision officer of Erebon. And according to their website, Erebon is a nonprofit ministry that cultivates Christian communities to pursue healing and reconciliation in a racially divided world. I'm not going to get into all the details right here because David and I get to speak about what it means to pursue healing and reconciliation in a racially divided world. And we're also going to talk about that word cultivate. What does it mean to cultivate a Christian community and a healing community? I reached out to David specifically in the wake of Tyree Nichols' death in Memphis because I didn't want to just react to a news story. I also didn't want to not react to a news story that points to some of the horrible history and present reality that we still have in a racially broken society. And I knew that David might be able to help me think and pray and live and love and hope in the midst of this broken world we live in. And I'm really grateful I did reach out because David is great at pointing me back to the long, deep, painful, and ultimately hopeful work of healing love in a world that is often filled instead with pain and shame and grief and despair. So I think you'll really appreciate his uh, wisdom and perspective. I know I did uh, as we talked today. One more note before we get to this week's episode, the season in the church year, the liturgical year, the season of Lent is coming up in just a few weeks, and I want to let you know I do have a few resources specifically for that season on my website. The first is a devotional guide through Lent, which you can order and just read day by day on your own or in groups. There also are um, questions for reflection at the end of each week. The second is a Bible discussion series, and that will lead you through my book, To Be Made Well, over the course of eight weeks. So each week includes a short video teaching from me, as well as a passage for discussion from the Bible, questions for conversation, and then a five-minute daily practice for the following week. You can look at both of these resources at amyjuliabecker.com backslash resources, or just look for a link in the show notes. And now for today's conversation with David Bailey. I'm joined by my friend David Bailey here today. David, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me again. Um, Well, as longtime listeners of this podcast will know you have been here a number of times before. In fact, I think you are my most frequent guest. Um, oh, man, that's a great honor. I, well, it's um, really fun to, always to talk to you. Um, fun is 
maybe the right word or maybe the right word is just I'm always um, it's not just like information. It's like I'm always learning things, but also deepening and growing. And I'm sure that's true for people who listen along because our conversations are also some of the most listened to. So I know people listen to what you have to say and pass that along to other people. And I'm really grateful for that. So I thought I'd start. um, Some people might remember this, but it's always good to be refreshed. You're the founder of Erebon. And I just thought, well, I'll read a little bit from the website. Erebon exists to creatively pursue racial healing in church communities. Um, But I'd love for you to give us the longer definition, like the longer explanation of just uh, what Erebon is and the type of work that you do. Yeah. So like the way we say it is like, the problem that we're trying to solve is the inability of American churches to address racial brokenness in their communities. And um, we talk about like um, people's communities because like all problems are local. And so like we can't just deal with racial healing, racial reconciliation, racial justice, whatever term you want to use, like in the abstract. It it comes down to like, you know, your place of worship. It comes down to your place of work, your kid's school, your neighborhood, the community organizations that you're a part of. And so. Uh, what we endeavor to do is to like work with people of faith to to say, hey, how do we break something like this big concept and this big like problem that was centuries in the making, and actually get it like really practical? To see what are some like faithful things that we could do to respond to to be an agent of change? And so, you know, what we are is we're a spiritual formation ministry that equips the American church to actively and creatively pursue racial healing in their communities. And so, like I said, we say their communities like your communities because our problems are local we see actively because uh, a lot of times people are reactive versus being proactive and we just believe that christian communities ought to be proactive Mm -hmm. and creatively because we're oftentimes presented with these false binaries and we see whenever jesus was presented with these like false binaries uh, um, he would oftentimes um find a third way that was a creative kingdom way that would implicate everybody and allow um, people to love God and love their neighbor better. And so th- that's the kind of work that we do. And as practical as we uh, uh, endeavor and organize ourselves to be, we know all of this happens through spiritual uh, formation. Like this is a spiritual challenge that um, has very practical implications. And I think that's why I like keep getting drawn back into this conversation with you specifically is because of that framing that um a that this is a work of spiritual formation not just a work that is in the spiritual realm although there's a truth to that but that it's about the way in which we are formed not just individually but as a people and and then also as you said like the the local insisting on talking about communities and talking about local issues. And um, I'm thinking about the way in which we get news events that have to do with racial racial brokenness. And as you know, one of the reasons I reached out is in the wake of the death of Tyree Nichols, which is not a local event for me and obviously for many Americans in the sense that I see this on the news and it's a horrible story again of a black man being beaten and dying at the hands of police unjustly, right? And and yet, and I feel as though I want to respond in some way, but I also know that this is um, a reaction on my part and he is far away and his family's far away and I can pray for them and I can care, but what, what can it off, like at the same time, something like that, a real visceral example of injustice 
I want that to be something that is not simply prompting reactivity in me, right? But that's actually inviting me into like a deeper understanding and responsiveness to God's desire for justice in the world and for healing. So I just wanted to ask you how you how you think about whether it's Tyree Nichols' death in particular or kind of these what feels like constant news events that create these reactions. Um, yeah. How do we, how do we think about that? How do we learn from these things? I don't know. Respond. Yeah. Well, I just, I mean, start off by just saying, you know, it's a terrible, um, I mean, it's, it's a terrible situation. I mean, like, I think that's just one, one thing. And, and when we deal with tragedy, um, our brains work to try to make sense of it to be like, hey, how in the world can this happen? What's happening? What's going on? You know, and I think that's a very human thing uh, for us to do. Um, I remember uh, Deacon Wilson, who uh, was one of the wisest men I I, I know. He uh, had to drop out of school when he was in eighth grade to, to work mm-hmm. on the family farm, but he just I just had just got so much wisdom from him. And one of the things he would always tell me, I remember being in college and just remember how profound he was, and uh he said, David, um, bad news always travels faster than good news. Mm. And so, you know, we, you know, our news cycles are, um, it tends to be bad news. It's like traveling faster than good news and, uh, stoking fear and anger Mm -hmm. because those are the things that they can get this visceral reaction. And, you know, again, like when you see, uh, four or five, officers you know beat a man to death um you know anger grief i mean these are just shame i mean these are all mm-hmm. reasonable human responses uh but but there's this kind of like this also you know there's just kind of like almost like a shock jock shock information type of way to kind of like uh, uh mobilize mobilize us around these particular issues of race and you know i i would even say particularly as a person who's like spent, I mean, really now like a, a decade and a half, you know, just dedicated working on this work. There are issues around policing, but even when you get to the issues of policing, I mean, that's more of a symptom of the problem than the bigger problem itself. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, where you look at where these, um, uh, where these incidences happen. I mean, this is part of a, a significantly broken ecology that it is uh, creating, I mean, like you look at the biggest civil rights issue going on right now is uh, public education. Mm. Like your, your zip code determines the quality of your uh, uh, opportunities mm-hmm. or the unique challenges that you have. Like your zip code determines whether or not you get college recruiters or if you get military recruiters. Yeah. You know, um, and, and this is something we all know. So people, folks like us who have op- options about where we live, we choose a zip code that has um, a great school. Yeah. And then what about those who can't choose a zip code that has uh, a great school? Even if it's in the same county or even if it's the same city, there's certain certain zip codes that are better than others. And, you know, the ones that have a lot of resources continue to have the resources because the uh, education um, and economics is oftentimes tied to the uh, um, tax base of the housing. And so this is like a systemically unjust situation, both in urban communities and rural communities. 
And so this, you know, this is a thing. And, and, and poor neighborhoods tend to be, um, you know, uh, um, tend to have, you know, crime and things of that nature that happen within these spaces, particularly like urban, uh, particular urban areas. But then also it's, tr- it's true that tends to be a lot of domestic things that happen in the um, uh, um, rural communities. But like, I mean, these are just realities that is part of the brokenness of the world that we're in. And I think it's important that we don't uh, only deal with it from like a news headline perspective because right. a news he- headline news headline doesn't uh, articulate the the depth of the problem. And I think if we could kind of see like, man, like what's going on in this situation? And then, I mean, then what you do with education, then you get with like, I mean, once you're actually in the criminal justice system, you could be poor. Like people who are poor get less justice than those who have more money and resources. I mean, that's not a arguable set of facts. And right. then when you add race on top of that, that compounds to another. So it's education, economics, and race are just profoundly broken situations that uh, this is true no matter what community that you're in the United mm-hmm. States. This is things that, you know, we could try to do our best to do a little something about that. Uh, we, we underestimate what we can do, you know, and through social media, through a conversation or maybe over a year but like what if we said hey i'm going to try to do this one thing faithfully over the next 10 years to to chip away at this mm-hmm. i mean those are the type of things that we want to like look at so we're not just doing that kind of shock jock reaction news cycle bad news trend yeah i think you know even from you know as you know i've been thinking and working and on the periphery of this space i would say for a long time also and um and even there, I still feel the instinct to react quickly when there's a news story, even though I have done some of the reading and work to, as you were just saying, like learn about the justice system and the education education system. And I think part of that is because those things still feel so big and overwhelming. And so that immediate news cycle, even though it's also big and overwhelming, it feels a little more contained too, because it's one thing that happened in one place at one time, um, rather than, oh my gosh, there are millions of kids who are not getting what they deserve when it comes to a classroom setting, right? Um, So I wonder whether you have any thoughts for people who are just feeling overwhelmed by the problem or or kind of distant from it, even if they have some of that like intellectual understanding. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. Um, I was um, hosting my friend um, Jamar Tisby in a Mm -hmm. uh, city uh, event where we, we read color compromise last year, like every year um, there's a pastor in in, uh, Richmond that uh, pastors a church right on Monument Avenue historically, white first baptist uh, of richmond and um so we always uh challenge the city we do an article in the paper op-ed piece in the richmond um times dispatch and then invite people to read a book in february and then we'll um discuss the book in either last week of february first week of march and um we had we did color compromise last year and and jamar is a historian and uh somebody asked him the question it says like hey like i just feel like you know, 2020, I was like out doing a protest and doing like all of the things. And, um, and I just feel like I just like lost my zeal. And I just like, am not like, what am I doing for, um, 
you know, racial healing and and Jamar really, you know, from a historian perspective, is like if we only judge um if progress is happening with um kind of racial justice healing um by protest mm. and and by like uh, uh kind of these kind of catalytic events mm-hmm. they will never feel like things are actually moving forward you know i think about NAACP was started in 1908 mm. and it wasn't until 19 no 19 even 19 between 1908 or 1906 and it wasn't until 19 uh 54 they had brown versus board education like that actually uh, uh, came through. So it was almost, I mean, like literally almost like 45, 50 years before. Um, yeah, so like 1960. It was basically like, yeah, almost 45 years before they had a, a significant uh, amount of like legislation that that changed. Yeah. Um, you think about, you know, um, I mean, folks were working on quote, quote, civil rights issues from the turn of the century, but it wasn't until like, the 40s cut went when the black officers came back from um, World War II and they just said like, hey, we were respected and Europe, we fought far for our country and they just couldn't take things laying down like they had to pre-going to the war, yeah. which then set up for, uh, you know, what happened in 54. But then it was really like uh, Emmett Till, which my dad's generation, he was probably about, my, my dad and uncle probably about seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there. And then seeing the Emmett Till did that, then that a few years later set up for the um, the Freedom Riders and, and all of those. Like, I mean, these were young kids. They were like 16, 17, 18, 19 years old uh, when they were doing these um, sit ins. And, and there's just like long view, yeah. uh, um, a way of like really understanding the work that, you know, has uh, that was needed to be done. And so here we sit really. 50, 60 years uh, from a corrective move, but we're dealing with a problem that was centuries in the making. Right. And so if we could try to have that type of like understanding of the depth of the problem, then we could also say like, hey, what if we dedicate ourselves to be particularly like cultivate this aspect of the garden to try to to, to bring some healing, you know? Um, and, And I like to use the metaphor of cultivation versus even the like, um, metaphors of like production Mm -hmm. because a lot of times like the scriptures use a lot of metaphor of uh cultivation because i think both the spiritual life and the kind of reconciling human life um of 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 brokenness like it takes time it takes cultivation it takes like uh um, breaking hard ground watering sowing and just trying to trust in god to bring the increase versus kind of an i like mechanistic production oriented type of society uh, where we, we expect if we build the right system the things should change immediately and we should get x amount of widgets or the desired results and then now like in this kind of internet age it's even faster than that right our expectations are even faster than that but no matter how fast our computers can go no how fast ai can happen humans move at a certain kind of pace that's really more agrarian when it comes to time is, is concerned yeah 
Gosh, there's so many things you just said that I want to respond to. Um, one is just to let listeners know that um, Jamar is our second favorite guest on this podcast after <laughs> you. <laughs> oh, that's good. I will let him know that. <laughs> um, but I do have a conversation with him about um, The Color of Compromise and um, about his other books as well. So um, so they sh- we'll put those in the show notes. But um, I also want to think about that cultivation versus production which, again, something that I think about a lot is the speed with which our society moves. And I think about this a lot as it pertains to disability in terms of how we try to just be productive, um, enterprising, you know, humans rather than people who are in relationships of compassion and really moving slowly through the world. But I also think about... um, there's a book called Reconciling All Things that you might know um, oh, yeah. out of the Duke Center for Reconciliation. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris um, Rice, um, Catholic. Yeah, I got it right there. Yeah. yeah. And what I love is at the end of that book, and I'm sure you know this, but for listeners' sake, like they talk about the um, what we want with the work of reconciliation is for it to be quick, global, and innocent when it mm. is actually slow, local, and messy. And that comes up for me every time, again, one of these news events pops up because it seems as though I could have like a quick, global, innocent response, right? Like there's just Mm -hmm. one right way to see this and to respond and to, and then I'm done, right? Then I can just move on to my like normal life as opposed to know, like in what ways is your own community hurting or broken that in some ways has been sparked by this shock jock thing that happened in the news um, that is also horrible. And yet you really can't do anything about that. But what is the local impact? And know that it's messy. Know that you will not respond to it perfectly. Know that there will be days where you are selfish or tired or not paying attention or whatever it is, or that you say the wrong thing or you do the wrong thing, um, and that it'll be slow, that it will. I mean, I love what you were just saying about uh, the, the way we need to understand time so differently. And there's a patience to that um, that's not the same as apathy. I just, I was talking actually with my daughter about um, kind of a related thing in terms of the difference between generations and lifetimes, that if you think of kind of the longest that a human life can be is about 100 years. And so we are less than two lifetimes away from the centuries of enslavement. Like, that's not very long. And it feels like it's long ago because we can say, well, it was 200 years ago, but it wasn't even 200 years ago. And, you know, and it's actually only been half a lifetime, to your point, since um, we had the, you know, I have a dream speech and the civil rights movement of the 60s. And so, wow, here we go. So I don't know. I think that it's just really important to push on that um, concept of time and remind ourselves that on the one hand, that doesn't invite apathy, like nothing, you know, things just change so slowly and that's, you know, we're making progress and let's pat ourselves on the back. But it also um, can help us to settle into, you know, that idea of a long obedience in the same direction of just continuing to be faithful in our local communities, um, you know, day after day after day. Yeah, I want. Yeah, I mean, just to double click on what you're saying. I mean, mm-hmm. Steve Harvey, his grandfather was uh, an enslaved person, you know, and uh it's really profound to, to when you think about that, you know, yeah. like that it's, it's not that long ago. And then I think some of what um, 
and I even think like I mean as, as profound as slavery was we would have probably made a ton more progress if we actually like repented from slavery mm-hmm. but you know as Brian Stevenson says um, slavery didn't end it evolved you know and, and, and really when you think about what happened after slavery was our country was organized so that if I had a black son and, you know, you have a white daughter, that they wouldn't grow up next to each other and fall in love, get married and have mixed race children. Like right. that's I wish that was like something other than, than than that the case. But but you think about home ownership, that's the number one way to build wealth. And and so, you know, there's reason why they're all white communities and those white all white communities that stayed historically all white are going to be the wealthier communities. There's reasons why um, those are going to be more single family homes, you know, houses. Mm -hmm. And then when, you know, you go to the more blacker or uh, more uh, immigrant uh, uh, communities, they're going to have more apartments. They're going to be more like um, um, not as well kept the streets and things that the city is just not going to put as much resources. The schools are going to be in there. And and that's that's the answer to wealth like that's happened in our country. Right. Right. And and then this is all post slavery. And then when it comes to jobs and income, you know, our our um, the way our country organized um, employment policies and ways are going up really up until kind of night. It was it became illegal in 1968. But it didn't really get into force until the 70s and 80s. Right. And this this was about making sure that there weren't black people that were supervising white people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's where our country was organized around um, up until literally 30, 40 years ago. Right. Like, you know, and those are um, and it has a lot of explanation for the way things have engaged. And so that's one of the things I kind of like about your book about healing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because. I, for us, we really like to like the phrase racial reconciliation. It's it's like loaded has a lot of interpretation. It could be kind of challenging. Um, the word racial justice sometimes could mean justice without reconciliation. What we really like to talk about is kind of healing. Like we we, mm-hmm. we talk about being a reconciling community, but a reconciling community is working towards like racial healing, right? Yeah. And and, and yeah. engaging the word of healing because I think healing. Includes reconciliation, includes justice, and includes the like long work hmm. that um, it's like you have to do the like therapeutic work or the exercises, the things that happen, and then you got to allow God to do the work that allows the healing. But like when you know when you've broken a leg or twisted an ankle or disrupted a muscle of some sort, like you just got to do the physical therapy, right? You have to just do the yeah. the processes, and then like the body is designed to heal itself. But you just got to do the thing to kind of work with the body, right? And and that is true of both the body of Christ and just the broader human uh, uh, um, shared humanity that we have that as, as image bearers. That you know, if we do the exercises, if we do the work, then God allows us to, to for the body for humans to, to to engage with the healing that that needs to take place. Well, and that goes back to the kind of um, cultivation as well, just in the sense of it taking time that like healing is 
uh, even when we have kind of miraculous examples of immediate, what seems like immediate healings in the Bible, so much of what that is, is the beginning of a healing work for Jesus to reintegrate someone into a community. Um, and I think that sense of, if you think about any injury in our body, I mean, even just a cut on our skin takes days to actually heal, much less something that's a deeper wound. And of course, we're talking on this kind of psychic and historic level about incredibly deep wounds that really do also, I've always um, thought about, like, if I were to, you know, punch someone in the face and split my hand open, where I'm the one who's done the wrong, and the offense is against the other person. And yet I've also harmed myself in the process. And so there's healing that's needed, you know, on both sides, not yeah. because I haven't been in the wrong, but there's still healing that has to happen within me in order for me to be restored. And some of that healing, of course, is I'm sorry for punching you in the face, right? But some of that is yeah. like my hand needs to get better. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of healing work. And I love just what you said in terms of the healing, including reconciliation and including justice, but being a, almost a broader, um, a broader work that especially for people who believe in the healing work of God in our midst is something that we really can commit ourselves to, you know, in, in community. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit. I also was just thinking when you were talking about the difference between cultivation and production about our kind of social media moment and how it is, so easy to like reactivity, which is another thing you were talking about to news events, right, is something that can look very productive. Like I'm, I'm immediately respond reacting, really, but I'm saying something, I'm making sure to draw attention to this issue, or I'm, you know, um, having the quotation or the caption, and not that those are necessarily bad things. And yet there is that like sense of, uh, it can also be a way to avoid the longer work of cultivating relationships, cultivating understanding. One of the things that I, um, I know I mentioned this to you in a different conversation, but um, I've really been thinking about recently is the difference between, um, I guess, I guess, I, so when it comes to issues around racial brokenness and racial healing, I feel sometimes a tension between speaking up um, and staying silent in order to not center my own voice, right? Like to know that I, as like the educated white woman, also have a lot to learn. And so I've been thinking about the idea of like active listening, of being engaged as a listener rather than simply um, passively staying silent, that there's a difference between like passive silence and active listening. Although in both cases, it might mean that I'm not saying too much. Um, and I wonder just what, what you would say again to that sense of like, how do we um, cultivate responses that are more in that posture of patience, cultivation, longer, broader work rather than reactivity? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we talk at kind of like Arabon just about like how we are really trying to help the American church, Christians in America to address racial brokenness in their communities. And we, we oftentimes like, we see that they're like these contributing causes that like prevent us from being able to address racial brokenness in, um, 
in really helpful ways, and it tend to be these like misplaced emphasis. Hmm. And so, you know, one is an emphasis on shame over hope. Like a lot of times, people who are um, people who are like passionate about issues of race, they use shame as a motivator instead of hope. Mm-hmm. And 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 you might get a reaction to people when you use shame as a motivator. But the challenge of it is, is that like, uh, um, that's a short term motivation. Like you get a, like, if you really want to uh, change people um, from a deep down inside, you know, you can say, Hey, you can be better and you could do better. Right. Like we, we, we can do this, you know, um, that tends also be an emphasis on information over formation. Like if you know better, then you'll do better. Mm. But that's not the way that we work, right? Like so in 2020, the way we responded was to read a bunch of stuff. And I'm not saying that like reading is is um, is a bad thing. I mean, I actually mm. think it's, it's helpful to be like informed. But to really understand that we've been malformed, yeah. like, and we need to be reformed, we need to be spiritually formed in a way that kind of helps us to be agents of healing. But to even just to understand how have we been malformed in areas of race and like what does it mean to be white? What does it mean to be black? Um, but it's not just about the information, but it's really about like how our formation, what is happening, and how can we uh, um, be image bearers, like, and like live into. Uh, um, this this fullness of, of of image bearer, but then also create an atmosphere where other people can bear the image of God and 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 engage in a really more helpful, uh, harmonic way that we ought to be a flourishing way uh, to bring God shalom to the world. But then there's an emphasis on theory over practice. So you hear like uh, um, terms like anti racism or white fragility. You know um, these are all terms that were created in the academy. Yeah, these weren't terms that were created in the context of community and actually trying to do the work. It was like an abstraction trying to think about, okay, what's going on? How do we do this? We figure this out. And when you actually do things in practice, when your theory actually is in the context of practice, you're able to kind of be a lot more practical in the work that you're doing. There's like an emphasis on the individual over the community. And so the question is like, hey, I'm either like, I'm not being racist or those people are being racist. But we don't elevate the conversation to realize that like people form communities and communities form people. So when you're trying to be a reconciling community, like your Christian community ought to be saying, hey, how are we how are we forming people into being a reconciling community? So no matter what topic comes up, what if 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 it's race or gender or or or, or politics, like we're actually engaging in being a practice of being a reconciling community. And then the last one is the emphasis on partisanship over peacemaking. There's more political discipleship going on right now than biblical discipleship. And that's that's a huge, huge problem. Right. Like we ought to be people that are engaging into some type of like uh, um, forming where like Jesus says, like, blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that being a children of God, child of God, like that's an identifying marker. And so like, if, if you say, like, hey, those are people being peacemakers over there. They must be children of God. Or another way of saying it is, mm-hmm. these are people that are culture warriors. We ask, Are they really children of God? Right. Right. If what and they're known for is the way they fight. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we should cause us to pause, right? Yeah. And so, so I think if we can really be people that think about formation uh, over information, hope over shame, uh, practice over theory, 
uh, community over individual and, and being a reconciling community and, and, and think about peacemaking over partisanship, I think this is ways to kind of help us to, to do the long marathon work for transformation. I love those. And I will just point people towards your website, which is Arabon.com, um, because those are listed on the homepage. And I think it's probably would be helpful to spend time just contemplating all of them. But I wondered if you'd say a little bit more on the formation part, like what does that look like in uh, communities to actually be attending to spiritual formation over information, which again, not to say that information is bad, but to really say, but the the deeper emphasis um, is on the formation of us and of who we are as a community and who we are um, in that spiritual sense. Yeah. So, so for us at Airbond, like, I mean, like I'll tell you like a practical thing that we do. So one of the like really practical things that we do is um, we have like when we start off a course, we do this thing called um, Disciple for Complicated Emotions. And when you do any issues of race, class and culture, it brings up emotions of fear, anger, grief and shame. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what you're talking about, no matter where you sit into this scenario, fear, anger, grief and shame are the things that that come up. So what I found is that when people, uh, uh, when communities things tend to fall apart, it happens because they were unable to deal with fear, anger, grief, and shame within their within themselves, or how to respond to somebody in a healthy way to engage uh, um, in a response to kind of help move the conversation along. Like things tend to fall apart, like when those those kind of deep visceral re- re- emotions are mm-hmm. are happening. And so it's important that we grow our both our emotional and our spiritual bandwidth to be able to do this work. Mm-hmm. And so we have this course that, you know, um, we offer online and in person in communities called Discipline Through Four, Four Complicated Emotions. And when you can actually, like, sit into the heart and difficult things, mm-hmm. that actually helps to, 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 to have the emotional and spiritual bandwidth to do the marathon work. It's like stretching before going on a long-distance run. Like if you just take off and start running, you're going to get a neck cramp. You're going to have an injury, yeah. and that's that's what happens. Then the second thing we do is a oh, foundation for work. Or you're going to stop running. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, for like, sure. <laughs> you might r- stop running because you get hurt, or you might just be like, "I'm I can't do this." I'm anyway. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. No, that's great. No, I mean that's exactly what happens, right? And I think a lot of people will stop running because they haven't done that stretch. You know, yeah. um, they haven't done that work. Uh, the second thing is foundations of reconciling community, and we talk about like this, um, uh, the foundation of 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 this. We 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 basically have this image of a house, mm-hmm. and imagine like at the foundation is um, reconciliation and spiritual formation. And so, what that means is like like we love Ruth Haley Barton's definition that uh, spiritual formation is. Um, the process of being transformed into the image of Christ mm. for the glory of God, the sake of others, and the abundant life. Mm. Spiritual formation is a process of being transformed into the image of Christ for the glory of God, uh, for the sake of others, and for the abundant life. Mm. Well, when you just switch out the word spiritual formation for reconciliation, reconciliation is a process of being transformed 
into the image of Christ yeah. for the glory of God, for the sake of others, and for the abundant life. And you think about them. One of the most intimate relationships one can have is the covenant of marriage, right? Mm. Like, like there's a richness that happens when couples work through the process of reconciliation, right? Yeah. Like, and, and that is, if 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 um, if marriage is anything, it's 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 it's, it's cultivating love through reconciliation. Mm. And so, like, like, and you out of that spiritual formation and transformation happens. And so, in our communities, if we don't have that as a basic foundation, and then we try to insert something like race which is this like century old problem we don't have the tools to to really engage in a really like healthy way so then the second thing is this pillar of cultural intelligence like we could just talk past one another kind of similar again back to the like marriage marriage metaphors like family of origin like ways of doing things that you just grow up that just was just normal to you and sometimes when we, we talk past one another we need to like realize okay you know we might be talking past night, not because we have we don't like the other person, or because we're not committed to practice reconciliation. Just because we're just from different cultural contexts, and we need to like learn how to find some shared knowledge or language. the The third um, step, or the second pillar, is uh, understand historical context. You know, um, we say like you can use history to hurt people. Say, hey, you know, because of this, because of your past, you're not going to be more than what you've been in your past. Mm-hmm. You can use history to hide, where we kind of like tell a version of ourselves that like downplays the bad stuff and over emphasizes the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You use history to hide in that way. Or you can use history to heal, right? Like if you go to the doctor, say, hey, what's your medical history? You go to the therapist, what's your history? You know, when you uh uh go to that um exercise specialist to lose that that then New Year's resolution weight, you say, Hey, what's your exercise history, right? Yeah. And so history is a is a tool that you to to to, to we're here today because we for what happened yesterday. So history can be used as a tool of healing, and so it's important for us to use history as a tool of healing. And then you know we got to practically work together. Like that's the third pillar in this house. You work together, mm-hmm. and you work cross culturally, right? And, and that's where things actually get to put the practice. And then what we have like over our roof is um, cult, creating new culture. We're here today because the culture was made yesterday. If we want to see something different tomorrow, we got to create a new culture today. And that's how we move forward, right? And and if we can put together a like like an ecology of reconciliation, spiritual formation, cultural intelligence, uh, 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 working through the, like understanding our historical context, working together cross-culturally and creating a new culture, and we just do this in our community faithfully over decades, hmm. we will see tremendous amount of transformation. And what I'm really struck by, back to the concept of healing and some of uh, the key distinctives you were mentioning earlier, is how much individual healing and community healing will be hand in hand. That there's a sense of if and as, I think one of the things you originally said was we need to be kind of um, understanding how to emotionally and spiritually grow. Um, like that's part of the work of reconciliation. Um, and obviously beginning with discipling these four complicated emotions, right? Like having to yeah. learn how to deal with grief and shame and fear and anger. Is that the last one? Um, yeah, fear. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yep. Okay. Um, but there's a sense in which we need to learn how to do that historically, communally, but also individually, and that that healing is going to be happening on all of those levels. And I'm, I wanted to ask, um, 
about that relationship between the individual and the community, because we obviously in America live in such an individualistic culture, and we're so shaped and formed by the idea of being an independent individual who can take care of ourselves, which is not actually what happens, but it's how we think about ourselves and we think we're supposed to be. Um, And yet it's certainly not the image from scripture of what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be, you know, human, what it means to be the body of Christ, any of these things. And even just on a, you know, less uh, Christian level, the functional way in which we operate as humans is in relationship with one another and in inter- relationships of interdependence. So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on how we make the move as much in our own minds as in our actual experience, but from individual to community like you've said some of it obviously the working together but are there any other things you would add as far as um making that shift yeah i mean like so like i mean at airbond like everything that we do and everything that we create is to do it with people you know uh, part of uh, you know angel you know you know i've talked about me writing a book and i've been working on writing a book and and been writing chapters but i've been hesitant to do that until there were these like communal resources that we've been created. I've spent energy mm. over the last, you know, 15 years and really trying to create these communal learning experiences, mm-hmm. these communal exercises to, to be able to help people to have imagination with their community. So one of the biggest things that I would, you know, we encourage people to do is to, to do like the cycle for complicated emotions together with your community yeah. Um. To do do the study series together, and all our study series really help people to not just like know things, but to learn things. But then to like and have conversations with people, but have a new imagination for what's possible right. in their community. And I think that's one of the biggest things to do because we like, you know, we click on Amazon, get a book, learn more information, share about what we learned, but not actually like, hey, what would it look like for us to kind of covenant to journey together? Yeah and to grow and do something together. Yeah, it just makes it a lived experience and a commitment, as well as your point about just the, um, what I would call the spiritual imagination, like letting us have a hopeful imagination for the future that's not in denial of the um, reality of our broken world and yet continues to ask the spirit collectively to give us a sense of where we could be headed if we actually are pursuing that work of reconciliation and of justice and of healing, all those things. Um, Kind of the last thing I want to ask along those lines is around the concept of repentance. And I remember in relatively recent years praying the Lord's Prayer and just kind of thinking about for the first time what it means to pray, forgive us our trespasses. Um, or forgive us our debts. So yes, I'm certainly praying for the personal sins that I've committed, but like Jesus is instructing us to pray for forgiveness for our collective debts and trespasses. And so there's a way in which other people who are kind of praying the same things are praying with me on behalf of the places where I am guilty and have sinned and vice versa. And I'm just thinking about, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll head into the season of Lent, um, this time of preparation for Easter, where a lot of, you know, churches might be thinking about repentance and individuals might be thinking about what they're going to give up or, you know, what they're going to do personally to observe Lent. But I'm thinking about this idea of like communal 
and collective repentance? Like what might that look like? And also what might it lead towards? That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that would just help us to, um, there's a book called misreading the scriptures through Western eyes and, and then misreading the scriptures through individualistic eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's just so important to understand that the Bible was one written in an honor shame culture which means it was like a collective identity culture. Yeah. Like it was in the space that like, I mean, so much of the, I mean, think about the Psalms. A lot of times we read the Psalms in a very individualistic way. And yes, like David may have had some experiences that he wrote, but that was the song book. That was like the hymnal of the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like this was a, this is all like a communal practice of which, the the good, bad, and the ugly of the Psalms was all in there yeah. in a communal context. Um, so many of the U's that Paul has in the New Testament are really the Southern translation of y'all, Amen. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he's really upset with them, all y'all, like you know. <laughs> and so it's really important to like understand that um, when the disciples say teach us to pray you know th- this is in a context of jewish people who would go to the temple for fixed hour prayers you know and that and like had this concept of like this communal identity of of being jewish people um, a minority ethnic group but also minority religious group in the middle of the empire yeah trying to say like hey how do we be faithful in the midst of this empire how do we be strangers in the foreign land? Even though this is like the land that we were here, but this land is being occupied. And how do we be faithful as a community? Mm-hmm. But then they also dealing with the consequences of being unfaithful as a community. Yeah. Like Rome wouldn't have been there if they were faithful mm-hmm. as a community. And I think that's like as we go into land and as we think about these things in our our country, like there's been a lot of like unfaithfulness that, has created this mess that we're in. Mm-hmm. And so we could say, like, Lord, like, forgive the our trespasses, like, as the people of God here in America. Yeah. You know, um, not only for yesterday, but also for the things that are happening today. I mean, it's not like, it's not, it's not as bad as it was yesterday, but there's still some messed up stuff going on today. A whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. And we could say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we, and we can easily see the way that people trust get passed against us and how those people over there (laughs) are doing something to us. But can we see how we and our people are doing things to those people over there? Yeah. Uh, Well, I have one final question for you and this is just more along the lines of that spiritual imagination, culture change, you know, cultivating um, towards a vision of, a reconciling um, world, really. And I'm curious, having been in this work now for, you know, over a decade and seeing and working with so many different communities, whether there have been times where you really have seen communities experience, I don't know if transformation is quite the right word in the sense that I know you don't go from, you know, black to white, like from white to black, from, you know, it's not just an immediate um or even an entire change, but have you seen communities where you're like, yes, like the the work of becoming a reconciling community is transforming 
who these people are and what their community looks like. Yeah, you know, I think about, I mean, this uh, last fall, there was a church that we were working with up in Chicago, and um, their church plant, um, Presbyterian church had recently particularized, and so I guess they aren't a church plant anymore. Hmm. But they really were working to work against both race and class, you know, and to, to be a reconciling community as a church. Of course, it's really hard work. Um, somebody invited um, an organization that does diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI work. And, and so, you know, um, they came in and, and like those were tools that were like, I mean, I think my comment about diversity, equity, and inclusion work it's partial like work. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's, I, how do I say it? Like, I think diversity, equity, inclusion should be fruit of kingdom work. Mm-hmm. And because Christians haven't been engaging in this type of kingdom work, then secular society has to try to figure out how to, how to get kingdom results with the tools that they have. Yeah. So I'm very hesitant in critiquing it. Cause I'm not like, I'm not mad at those folks. Right. I'm just like the church has to show up and kind of do what we have to do. So, I, so, but then I'm also like, there's kingdom resources. There's a richness of resources of how to get shalom in the scriptures that we can kind of like we could we could model if we would live into it. But long story short, they use those tools and they kind of blew up a lot of stuff at their church, caused a lot of harm mm. to both um, uh, a lot of white folks reacted to certain ways and they felt kind of beat up and then. Uh, the people of color in that community um, were like upset that they couldn't see past some of the like shortcomings, but get at some of the like principles that would happen. So they were hurt by the way that the white folks reacted and it was just hurt all around. And, you know, we met up with um, them and they, um, that particular church and they reached out to us and um, they started to go through our, um, our, processes you know as a leadership team and it was really great because they began to get eyes to see like around them and they started to partner with a church that was like literally down the street hmm. of a different denomination different ethnic group they're presbyterian i think it's like a charismatic type of pentecostal hmm. church of some sort um they started doing like advent dinners together you hmm. know and looked at other kind of ways they can engage together um uh, there was um, the worship team. There was a, a situation where you had the two black folks that grew up in like a Pentecostal context and would uh, uh, knew how to like do music through the ear. And there was another person that was like, uh, you know, highly degreed organist mm-hmm. that they were saying the same thing, but using different language. And then they were able to say, and it was, they were getting kind of frustrated and irritated, just trying to work together in this deadline. And then somebody like kicked on the Airbond training and said, oh, we're talking past one another. We need to exercise some cultural intelligence. When you say this word, do you mean this? And when you say that word, do you mean that? And they're like, oh, yeah, we just did. And they were able to kind of like have a reconciling moment like in that particular space. And, yeah. the, and, the, and, the, and the pastor now feels more empowered to lead the congregation in a way that's more kingdom oriented. And so, so, you know, it's just really great to see like in Chicago, there's a Christian witness of a folks like endeavoring to be a reconciling community 
we got plenty of stories, but like I'm just so happy. It's just one of many that we can share. Well, and I love that too because it is yes about the leadership, but also just that very. Um, I don't know, almost mundane example of like, we're trying to make music together and we're coming at it from different backgrounds. And so we're just kind of bumping up against each other and elbowing each other until someone says, hold on, we know how to do this. And it doesn't have to be like yeah. this. Um, yeah, I love that. And I hope, I mean, I hope that people listening to this podcast will say, I think we might need some of those tools and resources <laughs> because I know that um, Erebon has, you know, seen kind of explosive growth in the past couple of years. And the, and yet, which on some level was this kind of reactionary growth, right? All these churches who in the wake of George Floyd were like, oh, no, we really do need to respond. And yet what you're offering is not re- more reactivity, but actually that longer, broader work. But as you said, um, there's a lot in our secular culture right now that is true and good as far as it can go when it comes to some of the DEI work. And yet there is this deeper spiritual realm of possibility, I think, um, for healing that those of us who are in a position of having a common faith in a God of love and healing and of sacrificial service and of resurrection hope, like there's so much more that's available to us if we will actually, um, go to that place together of learning and of repentance and of, of reconciling with one another and of, of really trusting that the spirit will actually bring, um, something good and fruitful, you know, again, back to your cultivation, um, image of, you know, whether it's a tree that grows or a plant that blooms or whatever, uh, I believe that will happen through the work you're doing and it's fun to get to, um, learn from it and see it. And yeah, we're just really grateful for all that you do. Thank you so much, my sister. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the encouraging words. Anytime. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Glad to be here. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Love is Stronger Than Fear. I will say again, the Erebon website is a great place for more information and even just more thought-provoking material. So that's Erebon, A-R-R-A-B-O-N.com. And again, it'll be in the show notes. And I will mention one more time that we do have resources for Lent on my website, amyjuliabecker.com backslash resources. As you know, the way we find out about podcasts is because people say, hey, you've got to listen to this. So if this uh, conversation was meaningful to you, if it was helpful to you, would you please just think of a friend or two that you'd like to share it with? You also can, of course, just go over to the podcast and give it a rating or a review. And you can give me feedback. I'd love to hear from you, whether it's just to say that it was a helpful episode or to suggest other guests or topics that you'd like to see us cover here. I'm also always really thankful for Jake Hansen, who edits this podcast, and for Amber Beery, my social media coordinator. They make everything happen behind the scenes, and I am really grateful for that. Finally, as you go into your day today, I hope you will carry with you the peace that comes from believing that love is stronger than fear. <laughs>